This is the Baywall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are back with Dallas Jenkins to mull over the questions we had from Season 2 and Season 3 of The Chosen. That had to have felt like a little while ago, Season 2, but it's been a... Thanks for coming back. Like It was it was awesome to have you after Season 1, and that you'd be willing to come back and talk to us a second time. We, we really appreciate it. No, I love it. I love your show. Uh, not just when you talk about the chosen, but what you guys do to, to go deeper. And it's what ultimately the end game of the show is. Uh, the show is, a uh, is my wife and I, we often say this cause we have Bible studies and devotional books and, and, uh, other materials. And we'll often say, um, those things aren't supplements to the show. The show is supplement to those, uh, uh opportunities to go deeper. And uh, that includes things like your podcast. So uh, the the show is just a gateway drug. So I appreciate what you guys are doing and love the comments. And uh, I've I've listened to all of the episodes about uh, The Chosen. I learn learn something from you guys as well. So that's helpful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, So let's start here. Uh, It's been a couple years since we last chatted. And popularity has grown. It's crazy to watch what God's doing through through what you guys are producing. What's the last couple of years? Just back up 10,000 foot level, however you want to answer that. What has the last couple of years been like since we talked last? It really is crazy. Um, I, uh, watching what God is doing, watching, you know, we, we, we talk all the time about the loaves and fish, and I'm actually wearing the, the, the T-shirt today. Um, and it's even got, you know, if you're listening, you can't see it, obviously, but the and symbol in the five and two on my shirt has a little loaf and a little fish. Oh. And uh, it's a <laughs> it's a reminder, um, and we constantly remind ourselves that our job is only to provide the loaves and fish and that God multiplies. And, and so uh, when you see it multiplying so rapidly and so significantly, um, I've seen so many examples of the original loaf and fish providers starting to feel like they're responsible for the multiplication. And I uh, tell my team and I tell myself how ridiculous it would be for the boy who provided the loaves and fish to go home to his parents and say, Mom, Dad, I, f- I fed 5,000 people today. Uh, <laughs> obviously, that would be ludicrous, and so we keep reminding ourselves that. Um, that said, it has been, just even in the last few months, um, it feels like a, there's been a, an additional tipping point. Um, we, we've seen inflection points and tipping points several times throughout the show's history. Um, in the last couple months, we've seen it overseas. So I just I just got back from Brazil, um, which was an extraordinary wow. trip, and 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 the show is exploding there, and uh, it's happening all over the world. Um, but in the last couple months, uh, the show uh, season three premiered on. Um, well, it didn't premiere. It had been available for months on our app and elsewhere, but it, it debuted on Amazon Prime and has been in the top 10 on Amazon Prime for over two mm-hmm. months now and blew away their projections. Now, I'm saying all these things not to brag or to to, uh, to do anything like that. It I say it because it actually results in more humility. It, it re- results in a, whoa, okay, I'm not this good. We're not this good. We, we you know, we we didn't intend for this. We didn't, we didn't predict this. Uh, at least I didn't. So that that really puts you in a wonderful position because you really do go, okay, I just need to keep doing what I'm doing. I just need to keep when I'm in on my laptop in my in my home at three o'clock in the morning and I'm not thinking at all about the audience. I'm not thinking at all about the growth. I, it feels the exact same as it did five years ago when we started from scratch and no one knew who we were. When I'm on set with the actors and we're working on making the best show that we can and nothing is in our heads at all about the audience or about the growth or anything like that. Uh, that seems to be 
a winning strategy uh, um, is 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 surrender and um, you know really focusing only on what you can control and then watching God do something uh, big with it. it. It's a it's a really encouraging feeling. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's um, whatever it takes to get people into the story, right? Like how many people have Amazon Prime and wouldn't otherwise watch it, and all of a sudden they're interested in in the story that God's telling the world. It's it's great. I yeah. love that you're taking the opportunities to like, you're not saying, well, this has to be here. This has to be there. Right. Like we'll go wherever we need to go to, to spread the message and yeah, help people understand who Jesus is and was. And that's been the key. The, the, the first tipping point took place when we made the show free uh, several years ago during the pandemic. And um, my wife has had this phrase that she felt like God laid very explicitly on her heart over five years ago when we were in our lowest point, um, when we, when I, my movie had just completely bombed and I didn't know if I'd ever make another project again. And, and, uh, and God put strongly on her heart, not only the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but the phrase, I do impossible math. And at the time we didn't know what that meant. We thought it meant that the box office numbers for my movie were going to turn around and, and, uh, th- that didn't happen. Um, and of course you don't even know for sure if that's God's voice. You know, sometimes you need to let time and scripture kind of play that out. And uh, and over time, that phrase has just come up over and over again. I do impossible math, and so when we when we made the show free, and then our income quadrupled, uh, and the the impact of the show you know quintupled, it was like okay, yeah, this is impossible math. And uh, but ultimately, and I and I, and I mean this, um, when I go to Brazil, and we're doing a meet and greet line, and someone walks up with their with their phone, Google translated what they wrote because they don't speak English, and they ask me to read it, and I'm reading in English what someone had written in Portuguese in her native language about how she had been struggling with bleeding for years, uh, like the bleeding woman. In fact, in high school, her, you know, her uh, fellow students would, would tease her and call her the bleeding woman from the Bible and, and how she'd never felt seen. And then when she saw the episode in the chosen and, and felt seen by God for the first time and felt like God was uh, encouraging her that she would someday be healed, all these things. Um, uh, and she's saying it through tears or people in other languages talking about the impact of Matthew and our, the portrayal of Matthew's autism and how that's changed their family. I, you, you cannot, it's, the cliche is true. You cannot quantify it and it, there's nothing that can replace it. And uh, if it was something different, if it was, thank you for this show. Now I don't have to read my Bible. Uh, thank you for this show. Now I, now I've finally reached closeness to God because of it. And I, I can just coast. Uh, that would be a problem. Or if people were saying, now I know my life is going to be better because I've watched the show and that's what Jesus promised all his disciples was a good and happy and fruitful life. Um, People are saying, I am reading my Bible more than ever now. I am searching more than ever. I am going, I'm back in church uh, like I hadn't been. I'm deeper in prayer um, and I'm realizing surrender is the way, not, you know, like I'm not relying on the hope of wealth or uh, material happiness. I'm, I'm, leaning into the surrender that the disciples did that is everything and uh and that's that's what's beautiful to to have a front row seat to yeah that, that is great I, I can relate to some of those things just the I, I hope to never get away from being able to get together in people's living rooms and shake hands and like i always want to be on that side of the stage before an event because that's what keeps me tethered to Sure. Real people, real stories, and I, I can relate to to the beauty of of hearing the good things, the real things. And you're like, this is what 
the thing that God's doing outside of the way that God's using all these different variables to weave together something that only really he can see. And we just get these glimpses of is, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'm sure when you're doing that, when you're doing the podcast or when you're speaking to a, to a larger group, if all you heard was the, the clapping at the end or the occasional laughter when you share something or the, the, the number of reviews on the podcast, the, the, the downloads that came in, uh, it really would, it's not sustainable. Eventually you'd either become a monster, which is what we've seen of lots of, of, uh, celebrities or including religious, uh, yep. uh or spiritual leaders, um, or you'd, you'd start seeking that at the expense of the, 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 the personal, the, and, and, or you'd forget what that was like and you wouldn't actually have the fuel that you truly need. You know, even if you didn't become arrogant, if you just, if you weren't getting some of that, uh, that feedback of my life has been impacted, eventually your soul would, would go, oh, why am I doing this? If it's just for, 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 for numbers, uh, it's, it's not yeah. what our, it's not what our heart cries for. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, now we have we we have our typical Bay mod, just kind of like a nerdy list of questions here from the last couple seasons. So we'll, we'll see how far this conversation can get before we're just out of time. But um, if you're okay, Dallas, we're just going to throw some fun questions about oh, I Bible love content. I love it. That's why, right. why I'm here. My our, and in fact, about real quick, our Bible studies that um, that we've released. There's always a section in there called "For Bible Nerds Like Us." And uh, <laughs> yes. I think you should check that out sometime. I think you'd, you'd dig I it. Do so, but, I do uh, love but that. But go ahead. Fire away. So let's reach back, Brent. Let's go back into season two and see what we can, both of us can remember. Uh, I'm yeah. going to pick my favorite one because I remember it. So okay. I'm, I'm going to go first. In season two, you have a synagogue leader dressed in high priest garb. And I've gotten to the place now, Dallas, where I'm starting to assume that you guys know stuff that I don't. Because every time I went to critique something, I found out that I I was lacking in historical contextual, you know, pieces. And but can you remember and or speak to why the synagogue leader leader is dressed that way? Is there some historical significance that your team has seen or found in that? Yeah. So I wouldn't say significant, but I would say that it was plausible because I asked about it, and my costumer said, "This is not the official. This like this is a kind of a." Uh, poor man's version of it. Um, and she said that, yep. that there were, um, not the high priest. In fact, there's like essentially three levels of this, of this, uh, it was, it's kind of a rectangle with, with the stones on it, right? The kind of the, the ephod. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, and we're going into season five and I'm, I'm actually working on the, the scripts as we speak. And, um, Caiaphas goes to Pilate and Pilate gives him the, the that years or he gives him the vestments, that he pulls out, uh, you know, every year because the Romans actually held yep. on to them. And I said to, to my co-writer, who's a, a, a Bible and historical nerd, I said, now, wait a second. Is this an even a new and improved version of what we had Caiaphas wearing in season four? Because Caiaphas uh, emerges yep. in season four, which you haven't seen yet. And he's wearing the, the high priest uh, thing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he said, yes, there's an even it's like there's a there's the like official awesome one that the, that the Romans yep. kind of held on to. So this one that uh, this priest would have been wearing in um, – uh, I'm blanking on the city, the town um, the, where we had the healing. Oh, me too. The healing, I have been ready for the, that. The healing of the hand. Um, uh-huh. But uh, she, uh, what she said was it's, it's plausible that a, 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 a higher priest but not the high priest would have had something like this and w- would have been assigned – like we, we kind of had this idea of like he's, he's kind of assigned to this – 
kind of out in the middle of nowhere post. Yeah. Uh, maybe yep. it's because he was getting old and not doing as well. Maybe it's because he, you know, made a mistake and like, you know, how the Catholic church might do it. This is not, the, the, I know this is yep. not a Catholic show, but like might put, take him to another parish for a time. Yep. And that yep. speaks into a little bit of why he was kind of going through the motions, a little bit annoyed. Yep. Jesus walks in and it's like, whoa, this yeah. brings me back to my days when I cared about this stuff. And now yep. I'm, you know, at the end of my, at the end of my, uh, my days, I'm, 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 I'm having a chance to kind of be revived in my passion and I have a chance. Now I have something to fight against, something to, to fight for, and it kind of gets him going again. And so that was just kind of the little mini backstory that we came up with. I can't say for sure that it's fact that someone outside of Jerusalem would have been adorned with that garb, but it, but it, it, it seemed from our research, it seemed plausible. Yeah. Well, even just um, this last month, I finished going through a kind of an older resource, Roland DeVoe's Ancient Israel, Her Life and Institutions. And actually, there was a whole section on priesthood that broke it down in very similar ways to what you just described. And I, I had never even encountered that before, that there were actually these tiers at the very top, not just the Kohen Hagadol, but that there are actually Kohanim, you know, Gadolim, and there are, there are multiple individuals that occupy some of those spaces. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, uh, kudos again, got me every time, every yeah. time. Does it make uh, up, does it. it make up for the pamphlets in, in, in season? Uh, at the end of <laughs> That's coming. That's okay. coming. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> well, he okay, does so, listen to our podcast, Brent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Well, okay. So one thing that we noticed in season two, and maybe, maybe this is something you're going to reveal later. So I'll, I'll ask it in maybe a more general way that you can answer without uh, telling us where this is going. But um, it seemed like big James has this theme of taking action on things. Uh, like he was even leaning towards breaking Jesus out when Jesus was detained, he was going to do that with Z and so we were wondering about what the identity of the different James are, how you might connect them to the other books. I know there's like, you know, flash forwards where we see different authors writing their books. So maybe this is something you're going to reveal later. So, I'm, you know, you don't have to tell us anything that's yet to come. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the identity of Big James is and, and if that is intentional to to portray him in that way. Or even the other James. I feel like the words of James, the book of James are on their lips often. I'm assuming that's intentional. Um, so I was, yeah, Brent and I were always curious, like, which, what, are they doing something with these Jameses or what that might be? Yeah. So I'm going to reveal a secret um, that uh, that we've never revealed, uh, but th and this isn't a huge deal, but our view and understanding of the different Jameses has developed and, and, and been sharpened over the last five years. Um, when we first started, uh, I don't know if you knew this, if you, if you picked up on this or not, little James, uh, the one who's, who's handicapped, um, uh, says to Jesus in episode five of season one, it's, they're on their way to the wedding at Cana. And, uh, they meant, they realized that there's two Jameses in the group. And uh, we go, oh, we're gonna. Jesus says, all right, we're gonna have to figure this out. And uh, and they suggest Big James and Little James. And Little James says, I think that's fair, Master. And Rabbi says, oh, a sense of justice too. And uh, it's a little mm. Easter egg about James the Just. Um, yep. So that's kind of how we 
we went into it. Uh, Big James, various things. Um, I had in my head that Big James could have been the author of the book of James. Um, so he was more, you know, uh, um, works driven, perhaps more of an action guy. You know, the book of James is about, Hey, faith is great, but let's, uh, let's Mm -hmm. not be crazy here. Let's, let's also obey and do good things. And so, uh, when we were formulating the big James character with the actor, we were saying, you know, John's a little bit more emotional. You're a little bit more, you know, do the right thing, behavior guy. Uh, you're both temperamental, which is what we see when Jesus calls you the sons of thunder. So again, big James action. Um, so that did inform some of that. If, if if a gun was to my head now, I would um, opine that the book of James was written by Jesus's brother um, or half brother or cousin, depending depending on uh, what uh, who's listening right now and is going to get offended. Uh, but uh, I do believe Jesus had brothers, and I believe that uh, James was one of them, and I believe that's probably the author of the book of James. Um, but I wouldn't start a church over it, and I could be wrong. Right. But uh, we, we maintained that that yep. a concept. You also see that Big James is the first one to be martyred. And so we, again, th- this isn't factual. It's just plausible. We thought, yeah, he's maybe the most likely to have done something to get him martyred, he, to, to have, mm-hmm. you know, yep. peeved someone off or, or broken a wall or done something, you know, uh, you know, emotive action based. So it's, it's those little things, but yes, there are some hints that we think, uh, are, are, are factual and some hints that we think, Oh, this could plausibly, you know, be, be, be a a thread that leads to this conclusion. And there are some things that we're like, we have no idea, but we, we do know that those of us who, who love these kind of nerdy things will pick up on and, 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 and ruminate about and debate. Yeah. I, I love how you give like that, that's thought that doesn't have to, I say, I say this routinely in our commentary on your show. Like there's so much thought you guys have given to things that you don't have. You could easily not do that work, wrestle with that. And I'm sure part of that is the art and people that love their jobs, but goodness, I just love how that kind of intention is, is given. And I was intrigued because I have a super unpopular opinion about James. I think it'd be little James that is actually a cousin to Jesus. And he is the one that writes the the book. So I was going back and forth looking at that. That's not a popular opinion. I think what you opined about would be definitely what most everybody would would, but it's, would typically but say. But yours is yours is absolutely plausible and 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 satisfies multiple threads in scripture that like it does. Yeah. And then doesn't others. And that's the problem we all have trying to figure out who James is, right? Well, I mean, you could we could spend the next hour debating who was at the cross and who was related to Goodness. who. And yes. and so and then that <laughs> leads into more of these conversations. So, I mean, the thing is, yeah. uh, uh, and I know you've probably got a lot of things to get through, so I'll, I'll try to make my ac- answers a little bit more brief. But um, I, I would say that the, the one of the operating principles besides is this plausible is a is something we stole from an animated uh, uh, production company that does uh, some some great animated movies. They said we sand the underside of the drawer, um, which is the thing you don't even oh. see on camera. We've oh. you know we've animated the uh, a smooth underside of that drawer, and uh, and I thought that's that's good. We're, we're that's something I want to apply. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's it's a little crazy. Yeah. But for the most part. The, everything matters. And so yeah. we believe that just like when Rudy Giuliani helped turn around uh, New York City years ago by the broken windows theory, which is we're going to we're going to you know, we're not going to just only deal with the biggest crimes. We're going to also go after the small ones because that's going to start an ethos and also make a statement that we 
we care about even the little things. Now, you can debate whether that's effective or not. I'm just saying sure. that though that mindset applies to this show because our, our, oper- our operating principle is if, if we can't get the little things right, um, who can trust us with the big things? And, uh, and, and I think that applies also to the opposite, meaning the things that aren't factual, we're going to at least present them as plausible. We're going to play with them a little bit and we're going to set this tone that, okay, we don't know everything. Uh, don't treat this as scripture. Uh, th- this is not, this is literally not scripture. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's, right. let's just, right. let's just agree with that and then explore yes. this, explore this together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep that in front of us. Yeah. All right. One of my favorite, I mean, there are some moments in all of these seasons where I, like the more I watch it, the more you think I would get used to it. It's like the more I openly weep. Um, <laughs> but one of those scenes that is absolutely my favorite is Jesus reciting these beatitudes as he's preparing, as he's looking out over, won't even be able to talk about it now without pulling myself together. Yeah. Um, when you did that, did you, was that something you saw coming? Like, did you design the characters with that in mind? Did that just hit a writer or at some point later in the process, this is how we're going to do it. How did those, that was a phenomenal, I, I just keep watching it going like, Oh my goodness. How long have they been setting this up? Or was this an opportunity that all of a sudden they realized? So from a production standpoint. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's all of the above. And it's a, it's actually, that scene is actually a great example of how the three of us writers work. We really do. Uh, it really is a 33.3% contribution from each of us on, on practically everything. Um, so we, we knew we were going to end the season with Jesus about to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. We knew that we didn't want the Beatitudes to be in the sermon itself, meaning we didn't want to portray it because we weren't going to do a 35-minute scene of Jesus preaching. Um, yep. You can find that in multiple uh, videos uh, throughout history. Um, and we knew the most personal, the, mo- the, the thing that we thought, what's, our, what's, what's a chosen-esque way into this where we can give the Beatitudes and not change them? We're not trying to rewrite anything, yep. but do it in a way that uh, there, there's a way into it that's personal and human as opposed to presentational and formal. And the Beatitudes were the most obvious candidate for that. So uh, then as we're working through the season finale, um, I believe I'm the one who said, uh, and it doesn't matter, but I believe I'm the one who said, what if as Jesus is working through the Beatitudes, um, he's what's instead of giving the Beatitudes and then seeing who they apply to, the Beatitudes are in many ways coming to him because of what he's seen over the last season, what, over the last, you know, several months. They're a response to something, not a, you know, as I as I was born and raised, I developed the Beatitudes and now I'm ready to present them to the world. Um, mm-hmm. What if, what if they, it's, it's, it's supernatural, beautiful, creationist, um, I'm blanking on words, but, but we're, transcendent truth that comes as a result of humanity. Um, and, and, mm. and so that was the operating principle. My co-writer Tyler and my co-writer Tyler and Ryan are the ones who then looked through the season and went, oh, goodness, look, they're here. Look at Thaddeus and, and little James, what they did, who they are and what they I mean, it, it came together that part of finding the moment that could be flashed back to and the person that applies 
to that beatitude was mm. was downloaded. I mean, it was it was it took four minutes, um, and and then it was just like I mean, I'm getting almost emotional now thinking about it. And I I've, I've been part of it for years. Yes, it be, it was a it was one of those you know ten or so moments in the show's history that was was downloaded. Uh, at least we believe, yeah. you know, I'm not going to claim, you know, obviously divine inspiration. I'm just going to say it came together so quickly, made so much sense, was not something yeah. that we would have learned in, in film school to do. Um, and it was, it was, it was as beautiful to us as it was to, to you. Um, and what's interesting is I, I'll just say this quickly. I don't know if you've heard of, there's a YouTube channel called grafted, which is similar to your podcast. Um, okay. it's two uh, messianic, and I believe they're, I believe they're Gentiles who became like, who, who've kind of converted to messianic Judaism. I think one of them might be, uh, for, I, I might be wrong, but, um, one of them I believe is Jewish. The other one I believe is, is a uh, Gentile, but who's, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. messianic Jewish elders. And they, they did a, an, they did a, a, a reaction video to that, that scene. And, and they had an overwhelming reaction to it, just like you did. They were weeping. And, and, and I've heard from multiple Jewish people uniquely about that scene, more than others, which is interesting. And I, and I do wonder if for the Jewish people, there's something abnormally um, impactful about that moment of, because I think Jewish people are so connective and so personal. And, and I think the Jewishness of Jesus has been diminished in many ways throughout history, mm. but one of them being the lack of personal intimate connection that he undoubtedly had because he was a Jewish rabbi. And when we present Jesus as preaching and we present him on a stained glass window and we present him in a statue and, and, and when we're portraying him in a Bible project where he's uh, talking to the masses and even when he's with someone intimately uh, calling them to follow him or healing them, it's, it's, it's stiff and formal. And I think for the Jewish people, there was, I almost sense this, Yes, finally, that is absolutely who Jesus would have been, and that's been mm. taken away from him. He would have been emotional about his friends. He would have known his followers intimately because that's what Jewish rabbis do. And uh, and so I just found it I just found it interesting that there was an abnormally strong reaction from um, my Jewish brothers and sisters to that scene, um, and I think that might have been the reason. Yeah, fantastic. It, it was it was good. It was it was so good. So well, thank you. Kind of related to that, um, as a writer, do you prefer when a character is not in the biblical text at all, or do you like it when there's just a little bit of detail, but then you've got a lot of flexibility to, you know, move things around, or do you like it better when it's somebody like Simon, who's just extremely well-documented? I would say even the ones that are from the Bible and even the most well-documented ones like Simon, um, it's still more sparse than you'd think when you're, when you're putting together a show, um, mm. when you're filling, you know, eight episodes a season and Simon is one of your main characters, you know, the, you know, the key points, you know, the moments that we're going to get to that, um, heck d- defined history and, 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 and beautifully in cap- capture the relationship between God and man. But there's so much in between that we still have to develop. And so I would say it's, um, probably easier with a character who's not from scripture because there's no rules. So you, you know, obviously we all know artistic, uh, artistically sometimes rules are good and they, they make you better. But, um, 
you know, Rhema, Thomas's love interest, or um, you know, Atticus, the 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 Roman who's doing all the investigation. Um, they they can act as audience surrogates and ask questions and do deep dives that we know the audience is wondering about because when you only read scripture, there's things you just can't understand without the context. So they become easier and also fun because they, they give you an excuse to 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 create some exposition that otherwise might feel formal and and stilted. Um, but it's really fun to. To, to, to work backwards in a character. You know where they're going. You know that Simon ends up on the water with Jesus. You know that Simon ends up being called Peter because, you know, uh, he, he said something so beautiful and declared something so beautiful. You also know that Jesus called him Satan at one point. You also know that uh, he and Paul were still mixing it up even after uh, the resurrection. So you're just like, all right, this guy never fully arrived at, uh, you know, at monk-like uh, um, uh, stability <laughs> in his life. So working our way backwards and, 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 and kind of developing some of these backstories and journeys towards those big moments, um, they really are fun. And I, so I would say it's a little bit more fun to do the characters from Scripture because it's fun to come up with plausible ways to, to set up their big moments, but it's, it's more freeing uh, to do the, the – uh, the side characters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So let me play off of that and ask uh, about the cast. Like cast, I, I w- listen to this other podcast with some actors, and they're often talking. I've come to this deeper appreciation that I never get to see behind the scenes of between writers and directors and and actors. And now you've worked with these a lot of these cast members for a longer time than just one season. Talk about like I'm assuming that there's also an element of this of they. They own their character. They understand who they are and what their development is. And the giftedness of the actors you're working with in the cast, what has that been like to see that develop over the last few years? Yeah, it's a beautiful relationship because um, most of them are not believers, you know, or at least traditional believers um, or haven't, you know, uh, committed to following Christ in, in, sure. in, the, in the way that we would describe it. Um, and so on, because of that, and because they they're not as familiar with scripture, they're not as familiar with the history of it. Oh, um, sure. They they they're they're reliant on us. Uh, they they're 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 trusting us as the writers for the vast majority of it. The beauty part is is that whenever they come to me with a, hey, I don't know that I would say it this way, or hey, can I try this or whatever, it's never, hey, I don't believe this from history. Sure. It's always, yeah. hey, as a human being. I don't believe that I would say this in this circumstance, um, and I feel like I could say it a different way. And that is so great because sure. um, we'll handle the, the the scripture part, and we're going to make sure that the show uh, doesn't ever, at least in the eyes of the majority of, of scholars, doesn't ever blaspheme or or contradict the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels or do something so egregiously unfactual that it, it, it upsets the apple cart. Um, so we've got that. We're, 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 they're, they're safe in that regard. We're going to accurately capture um, the, the historical and spiritual context of this. And now we can just focus on the humanity. And, and, and is this not only plausible scripturally, but is this plausible hu- hu- humanly, if that makes sense? Yeah. Like, would yeah. a human being do this? And Absolutely. so often when I watch Bible projects, I'd say the majority of them, 
Um, I, I'm like, human beings don't behave that way. They don't talk that way. They don't sure. even look that way when they talk. It, 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 and so we are so desperate to find the humanity of these people because we want the viewer to believe this actually happened, uh, that the actor's skill is, oh my gosh, it's such a gift because they're, they're, they're concentrating on the humanity of it. And, and yeah. then also, we also now can write as opposed to season one when we didn't know who the character, character, characters would be. Um, like our, our dialogue, for example, for Matthew has reduced significantly because of how much he communicates with his face and his, and his body language. So it's just mm. a gift to the, to, the, to the writer going – and we'll even say sometimes in the script, um, like talking about uh, Jesus, we'll say something like, uh, you know, uh, this actor or this character says this and we'll write in the notes like uh, – and, and, and Jesus gives a look that Jonathan, you know, Jonathan gives the look of, with his eyes that he gave in season two. I mean, he's got such beautiful, mm. emotive eyes. We'll just, we'll just say, and Jonathan does his thing, you know, like we, we can just, we <laughs> yeah. can just, we can set up, we can set the table for these actors to do what they do best that doesn't require uh, us. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. I think that kind of brings us to the season two, season three break. So now I have to ask, because... I, I, I was so upset at the end of season two. And then when I got to season three, I'm like, golly, I think I might have been the one that was wrong on this. So what do we have going on here with like a stage or not a stage or a marker or and pamphlets aside? Like what what's going like? Tell me more about what that is and what that because because then I then I saw it resolved in season three and I was totally OK. So I was curious what what the thoughts were there so yeah there, it, it was ironic if i had to list our top 10 controversies in chosen history i would not have originally <laughs> guessed that a stage would have been one of them um so here's here's what we here's what we planned all along so we always we, we always knew how the sermon would go even though we were uh we we we, we cut it off we cut off his uh, entry at, at the end of season two so quickly about the pamphlets yes i know that it's not necessarily <laughs> it's not flat factual and 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 uh uh, papyrus would have been more difficult to come by than we often portray. Uh, but um, we do, be we, we did believe that we, in the story we're telling, we're setting up um, that the Sermon on the Mount is in many ways, the biggest uh, part, you know, coming out party uh, for this m ministry. It's been, it's been individual, it's been intimate, but the word is spreading. And in our timeline, um, how could the word spread quickly about a specific moment? So not just Jesus is doing things, you need to go find him. It's Jesus is doing things, you need to go find him, and he's going to be here on this moment. And so, yes, um, I would acknowledge that it's unlikely that pamphlets would have been part of the process, but I also don't think it's ridiculous. I, I, I you know, I know you did, but I just, I was like, <laughs> I, when I was, even when I was hearing you talk, I, I mean, I was chuckling along with you, but I was like, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say it's ridiculous because it's, it's, um, I believe that, well, not, I believe I know that one of the roles of, of any rabbi's followers was to pave the way they would go, they would, they would do this. They would go into towns and, and spread the word and, and till the soil for the rabbi to come speak. And, and I thought, all right, how do we do this quickly? Um, and so we did show them spreading the word and talking to people like mother Mary and whatnot, but we just thought, is it crazy that they would have said the person you've heard about is going to be at this spot on this time? So the stage, um, was designed for, okay, it's so that he can be seen and heard easier. And, uh, this is an opportunity also to use some of Nathaniel's gifts, you know, and we, you see Jesus throughout the show, 
specifically pointing out to people like, oh, this is your thing. Let's use you to go do this. Uh, and sometimes it's probably not even needed for Jesus, but he wants to, to, to use people's gifts. He wants to include them in the process, in the, in the developing of the sermon. He didn't need Matthew's help to write a sermon, but he wanted it. He wanted Matthew to learn. It was a good, it's, it's how Jewish mm-hmm. rabbis teach mm-hmm. sometimes. So the same thing mm-hmm. with Nathaniel. Hey, Nathaniel, you get to design, you get to use your gifts of architecture and creation to create something that will allow the message to spread. And, uh, so, um, that said, we also knew that Jesus was going to end up right in the middle of the people. Um, so we just thought this is a good way for us to kind of d- d- present him to the people. Uh, we also wanted to create a backstage area because we needed to yes. show preparation. We needed to show prayer. We needed to show, uh, you know, the, what, what it would be like for the disciples to be nervous and, and hoping this event goes well and hoping they did their job. And so we thought it'd be good to have kind of a backstage area because otherwise several thousand people would would just surround Jesus. So that was another reason for it. But we always knew Jesus is not going to deliver this sermon from a stage. Uh, he's going to be among the people. They're going to be seated around him. That was one, one other thing is we did think it was going to be a really cool way to end the season is uh, typically when a speaker comes out on a stage, the audience stands to, to, you know, to greet them. And we thought it would be much more interesting and much more reflective and much more Jewish actually for Jesus to come out on the stage and everyone sits down. Um, sure. So, uh, in, in in reverence and in wanting to hear and and all that. So, uh, so that was the that was the thought. And yes, there was a measurable amount of people who just thought it was, uh, you know, modern day evangelical uh, rock rock concert celebrity pastor. And uh, and I th- and I just thought oh, maybe there's a little bit of that. It wasn't intentional. That wasn't the that wasn't the point. Um, but I think there's something we can sometimes learn from celebrity rock concert evangelical uh, celebrity pre- preachers because. They draw crowds really well, and and uh, and so maybe there's uh, maybe there's some 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 tips on on uh, marketing we can learn, if not always messaging. Mm-hmm. Well, you you made me sit through that whole season break, and then when I got to the first episode of that next season, the one thing that all of a sudden you did start radically shaping in my consciousness was I I was like I don't think I actually have ever given enough credit to this is his public. This is his, he is launching publicly. Yes. And you guys did a really good job of crafting that. He's been he's been private, the public know about him, but now it begins. And then you see that building throughout the future episodes and and seasons and and the, by the time I got done watching the first episode I was like, okay, um I'm I'm good. I'm good. I like it. No, I'm glad you brought that up cuz I'll make this quick, but it, that that we we have to think through a lot of that because you you have to when you look at the, the sections of Jesus's ministry, the year of of um, preparation, the year of prosperity, um, uh, where he's the, the message is working and it's spreading, and the people are happy, and and the, the 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 religious leaders haven't quite caught on yet, and the Romans are not paying att- close attention. Things are happening. Well, in Scripture, in the Gospels, you look at multiple timelines. I mean, the, the Gospel writers uh, they they weren't setting it up in a in a three-act structure like you do in a show. And so you have a problem of going, all right, what's what's the best way to illustrate the, the explosion of growth? Um, you know, we did a scene where, where clearly people are coming to Jesus to be healed. That's in episode three of season two, but that's still not the masses. What would cause thousands of people to join and how would we do it and how would Jesus do it? And 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 so we, we, we look at moments in scripture and we think, all right, the Sermon on the Mount seems to be the clear candidate for that. And all right, what about the Sermon on the Mount? Well, in reality, 
um, two things are, are true. One is he would have given that sermon multiple times if it was ever one actual sermon. For, for, all, for all we know, it was multiple sermons, multiple sayings that Matthew condensed into one. But let's take the Bible literally. Let's say Jesus sat on a hill and his disciples were with him and then it grew and grew and grew, which is what the Bible says happened. People started yep. to join. That's obviously the happened at least once, yep. but it absolutely happened more than once. Jesus yep. gave these teachings more than once, 100%. So let's combine yep. some of these things into one moment. And uh, and so in, in the pursuit of capital T truth, let's blend a few facts um, and, 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 and turn the knob on a few facts in the interest of truth. And, and that, that sounds dangerous, and it is, and it's why the show is – is dangerous, but it's also, I believe, I, 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 I believe, or I wouldn't do it, um, capturing capital T truth. Yeah. And you've done it multiple times throughout, uh, season three, even like, I loved how you took things where if we were really trying, I mean, I, and again, you keep referencing these other projects that have done this stuff differently and it comes off as more tinny, less real and authentic, and part of the reason why you guys are able to do what you're doing is because you are taking just enough liberties because these would have been like, I can't tell you how many times Brenton has heard me teach the same lesson a hundred times. Like Jesus would have taught these things multiple times. And so you're assuming that as you're pulling them into different points historically, and it's giving you a little bit of liberty to not have to try to figure out how you're going to harmonize yes. these four gospels, you know, four gospels and put them together in a timeline that it actually has made it far more palatable. I, I think far more historic, not just like yeah. representative of history, because that's what it would have been like. It's not like Jesus taught this teaching once and then never taught it again. This is something he probably teaches routinely in all kinds of different settings. And I've, I've actually deeply appreciated how you've chosen to do that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Another potential American influence kind of thing. <laughs> I want to ask about the size of the homes that, um, the people in the show have, is this just like a production need? Like you just have a certain amount of space you need to get in with cameras and crew. Um, or, or like what, what, what's your framework for developing the, the, the set? Yeah, I would say the, the pr predominant need is production. Uh, and, uh, but I don't think it's one completely at the expense of accuracy. Uh, I think we've landed somewhere in the middle. Uh, we know, uh, or at least strongly believe that the early church was would have meetings in in Peter's home, and when you go to Capernaum today and you see what what, what seems plausible, do, do you believe that that's actually Peter's home? I do. That's what I yeah. That's what I teach. It's got to be a pretty good tradition. Yeah. So um, it, it's in some places bigger than I would have expected, in some places smaller. But I'm just like, okay, this be, this became a place where where they gathered often, um, and so. Would Peter have had a bigger house than others? Maybe, you know, he would have had to be a pretty successful fisherman probably. But, you know, it just, we just are thinking long term. And and we're like, we're going to have a lot of scenes in here where 12, 15, 16 people are going to be. And uh, it's just very difficult to, to mash them all together. Um, and and, and production-wise, it's, it's it's very challenging. So um, it just looks better with a little bit more depth. Um, and... You know, when I visit Israel and when I, when I, I do see a little bit of variety. It wasn't just, you know, single room apartments all stacked up on top of each other. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I would say, was Peter's home as big as we portray it? Probably not. 
Mary Magdalene's, you know, little space that she had in, uh, we see it, a glimpse of it in season one. And then the girls, uh, go there in season three, um, probably more accurate, um, but still a little wider than maybe just because again, we're trying to fit Mm -hmm. a, a team in there. So a little bit of, it's the same thing with candles. People are, I, I've, I've seen some critics who just can't get over the candle thing. Uh, there, there <laughs> wouldn't have been candles. And we're like, there would have been candles back then, most likely not from the Jews, most likely from the Romans. Candles look way better on camera and uh, yeah. we're going with yeah. candles. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. sorry. Yeah, I think, I think it was Mary Magdalene's house that made us, that prompted that question, prompted me to write down the question, but yeah. You felt like it was um, bigger than... Than it would have been. Yes, because it's. Uh, although I'm not, we portray I, I, it as one I, as one room. It's just. Uh, yeah, so. and I've always pictured Mary Magdalene as being a for whatever reason she had to be a person of means because she's supporting Jesus's ministry. So well, sure. Um, but and yeah, it might, I, it might have been somebody else. I don't know. I could not have imagined taking like a camera trying to film anything inside of like say the insula that I would take people into at Katsurin oh, yeah. in the Galilee. Like you could never film anything in there. Yeah. So it at least had to be production. It would have been impossible to do. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, and I've never even, golly Dallas, I've never even thought of. I don't know why my brain has never connected the actual historical house of Peter with what I'm watching on the screen. But now, now I'm going, well, of course. Brilliant. Yeah. Sometimes this, this is why we ask those questions because sometimes I'm not you, even thinking you're probably thinking about things that we're not. So that's yep. great. Yep. Um, so this is kind of a silly question, but the disciples and Jesus, when they went to uh, cleanse themselves in the water, uh, was that influenced by the top gun volleyball beach scene? <laughs> because that is what I was picturing when I saw that the first time we uh, the, the writing of the scene was not that uh, obviously, cause it's just, they go into the water and they have fun. And, and so, um, but when we were filming, we were saying things like uh, uh, this can be a top gun like thing, you know, where the, 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 the light dances off the water. And so we do things like, <laughs> we do things like that all the yeah. time. And every filmmaker does that where you go, um, you know, I'm thinking of a shot like this. It's, it's similar to the Wes Anderson shot that he does and blah, 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 or this, or this mm-hmm. is our top gun moment where the camera. So for sure, uh, there was, there was, uh, some, some influence that I'm not afraid or ashamed to, to acknowledge. Cause, uh, I, it, it spoke to my childhood heart. I loved, loved that movie. And, and, uh, yeah, it's fun, <laughs> fun to see that portrayed in a Jesus way. But unlike with that scene, you don't have to like hope your girlfriend's not watching or you <laughs> cover her face with a color, cover your fife, wife's face with a pillow during that scene. You don't have to do that in ours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was one other, um, little detail. So it was John that was portrayed as remembering Joanna and remembering her name. Um, but Joanna doesn't actually appear in John's gospel. Joanna's written about in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if there was something about that connection, um, that you were making with John to Joanna that we're not seeing. No, just other than, uh, yeah, it was just, they, they would have known who she was, obviously. Um, John wouldn't, didn't deem it important enough to, to mention her name in his gospel. Who knows why, but they still, we, we know they still would have known her. So this was just a... It was just a, a throwaway of showing Big James and John doing their usual little bickering and uh, like, mm. what's her name and what's it uh, Joe J J and it was just yeah it w- didn't have any deeper yeah, yeah. D- didn't have any deeper meaning than that I wish I could more about say the that personality just, between the brothers than yes. about the connection Joanne okay. and just an opportunity to remind the audience of of 
of who she is. We asked that because we've just missed obvious stuff before. Like the like the guy who came by Matthew's tax booth was the shepherd from the... Oh, man. Have we um, got... Boy, did our whole listenership <laughs> just come out of the woodwork and be like, you dummies. I know. And this I was, is who that was. And I was listening. And, and uh, every now and then when, when I'm listening to you guys, uh, there's little things that you'll say that I'm like, oh, if I ever get a chance to talk to him, I'll clear it up. That one, I immediately t- emailed you. I was like, yeah. you were, the you were like, one of the people who wrote in, Dallas. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's the guy from The Shepherd. Now, because I think, weren't one of you saying he looked familiar or I couldn't, I, I feel, or maybe yeah, you just I said that so. later. But, but yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, we didn't want to make it so on the nose that it was, you know, but but we were hoping that, that, uh, you know, that, that enough, with enough clues and hopefully if, uh, it, we also thought eventually when someone watches The Shepherd, again or for the first time even yes that it would then uh-huh. it would click even more but yeah he makes these little yeah. comments about being a shepherd and and see see and you guys pointed out where he says i want to can't wait to see my maker again um yeah. uh, uh was the the first clue that some people who might not have recognized him would have been going why would he say that what what is yeah. such an odd thing to say randomly well apparently we're the only ones who didn't pick up on it so no that is not true the fan <laughs> you should see the chosen fan club there was every now and then someone will just ask and then the yeah, whole yeah. flood of people goes, it's the guy from the, they, you know, they're very happy to <laughs> to correct you. But there's just as many people going, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Uh, yeah, you guys, I, I, and, and they didn't know it. Yeah. Well, that was one of my high moments of season three. I loved that scene, even not yeah, catching right. who it was. That was, golly, that was so just little Easter eggs and the, yeah. Um, I, and and I, I think I probably asked this question last time and I'm probably going to ask it every time I chat with you. Dallas, and I'm not sure even sure there's an there's an answer to this. I just continue to be so blasted impressed with how like I think I, I mentioned it earlier, you, you guys are are doing things with the historical context you don't have to do. Um, but it's what I appreciate. The Shammai and Hillel, when you pulled them in, whatever season that was, I went, You've got to be kidding me. And I thought, okay, passing reference, there's no but they're you're that that those individuals are hanging through this is that is that just your writers the team is that rabbi sobel is it like where that's not something you have to do and that requires some level of awareness but some level of work to pull that together and to care enough to weave that in so is there anything about that process you would speak to yeah absolutely um so i i don't know that i would agree that it's that it's not something we have to do because of the following statement. We are giving the enemies of Jesus as much humanity and context, or at least, at least more than they've ever been given. But as much as we are the, the, the friends of Jesus, we want to explain artistically and historically why Jesus was crucified by his own people. And the easy answer is, uh, is they were mustache-twirling villains who were greedy and selfish and hated anyone who uh, you know, disagreed with them on anything, when in fact the truth is much more nuanced than that. And uh, c- killing of, of, of your own was not only abnormal uh, you know, in general, but it, but it, was, it was supremely abnormal and supremely considered evil to among the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. Um, and so what would have caused them to, to go that far? Um, we need to understand that. 
at least our show does, because we spend so much time explaining who Jesus was and who his disciples were and why they would have followed him and why what they would have had to give up to do so and what would have caused them to believe as opposed to um, a religious leader who didn't. Uh, what caused some of the religious two leaders to believe and some others to not? Because we often assume it's all of the Pharisees were anti-Jesus, but we know that Nicodemus wasn't, and we know that Gamaliel wasn't. And so you, you you go, all right, who are the who are the guys who we can work with, like Yusuf um, uh, in Capernaum, uh, that that we go, okay, he can be a guy who's conflicted, um, and uh, obviously he has a. A journey, um, but we 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 look in Scripture for who are people that we can we can find that can nuance this and not make this just black and white, uh, good versus evil. Um, and so uh, we, when you do that, you, you're looking at it both hum, humanly and historically. And when you dig into those things of all right, what was the Sanhedrin like at that time? What were the different factions? Uh, what would have caused them to disagree with each other? Uh, organically, what would have caused them to actually align? Um, why would the sad, why would the Sadducees and the Pharisees work together? We're, we're de- dealing with that, and we do a little bit of that in season four and season five. There's going to be some scenes in season four you really love because you'll see we do a scene in season four where we just take six, seven minutes to show a Sadducee and a Pharisee in the Sanhedrin with. Uh, what do you call it? The stool that you put your sermon notes on, um, the podium. <laughs> they each have mm-hmm. podiums. They each have their people, their supporters behind yeah. them. And Shmuel is moderating a debate between a Sadducee and a Pharisee about the mm. the resurrection. And we just spend six or seven minutes doing that. Like there's no right. plot device that's being utilized there. It's just we're giving you the what 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 it was like for them, what they cared about. It sets up why. Jesus would have been so offensive and offensive enough to actually unite a Sadducee and a Pharisee against him. Uh, so we do think we have to do that kind of stuff. And when you dig into it, you find, oh, there's some rich stuff. There's some juicy stuff already there, already there in history. And uh, this is not only um, not going to d- detract from the story, it's going it's a value add. It gives more life to it and it's authentic. So um, again, I know that's a long answer to your question, but it's it, I, I do believe it matters. I don't think it's only for people like yourself who can geek out over it. Um, I remember when we showed the the trailer, um, people were doing reaction videos to our trailer for season three. This is so, this is so precious. And the Grafted guys, I'm bringing them up again. It's that YouTube channel called Grafted. Um, they were watching a live reaction to the trailer. And uh, and they were watching and they're kind of getting emotional. Like, ooh, that's cool. And then uh, we there's this moment of, of Eden in the mikveh. And one of them literally goes, ooh, mikvah. Like, it was like the, the nerdiest reaction. Like, like 98% of the audience didn't even know what a mikvah was and was learning about yeah. it. In the show. They see a glimpse of it in the trailer and they're like, ooh, mikvah. Like, they're, like it's like an yeah. exciting thing that a fan yeah. would. And, and uh, so, so, yes, there is a portion of the audience like you, like them, who, when you see that stuff, it makes the show even better for you. Um, yeah. But I think it's important for the general audience as well to see this context and this backstory that I think makes um, what actually happened even more impactful. Yeah. I love that answer um, that you, I think we do have to, cause I it made me immediately think when you started describing where you're at, how I felt about season three of the podcast, which was, well, we can't even get into the, to the gospels until we do like 
15 episodes of context of who are Pharisees and who are Sadducees. And what you're saying is that you have, yeah, we, you do have to do, and I totally, we have to have that work or we totally misunderstand the story and you doing it from a production standpoint, writing standpoint. Golly, it's just so, it is, it is. I love that answer. I absolutely love it. And then you talked about mikvah and I think Brent has a question about mikvah. That's a great transition. Yeah, we did wonder. So when Eden was going into the mikvah, she was reciting something and I was trying to track down where it was from. It seemed like there were a few different lines that could connect it to a few different Psalms, but was there like a specific prayer or a tradition that you found uh, that you're pulling from or what, what was the thing that she was reciting as she was going in? Uh, my best recollection is that uh, we did a a search, a Google search, essentially for a, a prayer for the loss of a child. Um, mm. And mm. I don't know, I for, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me. I don't know for a fact if there is, and Marty, obviously you'd know better than I would, if there was, if there's a specific Jewish prayer for um, a miscarriage or for a, a death of a child. But I think there was something because there, there's one of the lines is, and for the life that could not be. And so I think it might have been a combination of of a prayer that you'd hear at a funeral and a prayer that a brief prayer or a brief line that you'd hear for a the death of a child or or a miscarriage. I don't I don't recall one hundred percent because sometimes um, when when we look, when we're doing research on Jewish prayers for specific occasions, um, there there's some crossovers, you know, and sometimes it's. There isn't one for this. Like we've had a couple of Jewish consultants say, "Oh, you wouldn't say that prayer in this moment," and 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 sometimes we've agreed with them and, and changed it, and other times we're like, "Well, your your colleague doesn't think so." So uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jewish history and and uh, and, and Jewish scholars uh, are not always aligned. But five <laughs> rabbis in a room, you have eight opinions. That's the joke. Yes. So and uh, we have never learned that more than by doing the chosen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there, there is a blessing in Talmudical Judaism. Um, and the, the debate is always whether or not it goes, you know, as far back in the sec- second temple or not, but the, I, there is absolutely prayers for that. So yeah, yeah and um, for, for sure, the timeline stuff, we, 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 we're not ashamed to say we sometimes combine timelines uh, and sometimes there are Jewish traditions that we show that are um, most likely came a hundred years later or even maybe several hundred years later. But um but again, they're they're capital T truthful. They are Jewish. Yep. They are authentic to the people. Um, I mean, episode three of season three has a lot of that uh, that I'm sure you were yep. uh, picking up on. That uh, like the timing of the new year would not have been how our show. Like we 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 sometimes move yep. holidays around just because uh, yep. for for episode three, Jesus going to his home. What would have been the perfect holiday? Uh, new Year. Um, does that fit into our timeline? No, but we need to do it anyway. Um, and then the, the Rosh Hashanah traditions, I mean, gosh, there's some that we pulled from the, uh, from, from thousands of years ago, some that we pulled from 400 years later. I mean, it was a, it was a grab bag of, uh, and, and, and I I think there's potential that some of the things we've read aren't totally accurate about. I mean, uh, one of our consultants was like, no, this wouldn't have happened at this time. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like some of this stuff, was happening in the Old Testament or the Torah, but but wasn't assigned to Rosh Hashanah, but could have been by the time Jesus was there. So some yeah. of the you know, apples and honey and um, for a sweet new year. And uh, the, the thing that we, quickly, the thing that we adjusted because of what our consultant said was, he said, there part of this celebration of the new year would have been preceded by um, 
repentance. Like there would have been a, 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 a day at least of, of seriousness. So they wouldn't have just been eating sugar and, and, and celebrating. And so we, um, we actually have a moment where uh, Rabbi Benjamin says to Jesus, yes, we're celebrating the new year. Yes, it's all fine right now. Um, but tonight is when we start, I think it's Sabbath or something. Tonight we get serious and we start talking about repentance and, um, you know, uh, it, gets more, yeah. it gets more serious tonight, basically, yeah. which is what leads into Jesus's uh, moment in the, in, the sin, uh, in, in the synagogue. Yeah, which I was totally tracking with. And I've, I've, I've loved all those decisions. It is super messy historically. And I think that gives a lot of liberty to, we don't know. We don't know. So why not pull in big T truth through a particular practice? That could have very well have been there. I know we're going to have to let you go. I'm going to ask my last question. I'm going to let Brent do his job to wrap up the episode. But here's my last question. Well, I, I I just this. just to be clear, I do have another. I, mean, I have 15 minutes, but but because uh, I'm I'm, I'm, oh, I'm fun. I, my heart out is at two uh, two o'clock central. So just to be just so you know. Okay. Um, so here's my last here's here's my last thought in that last episode of season three and Peter sinking and Jesus putting his hand through the water. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a recovering theology nerd before my days of Jewish historical context. I noticed that there was a Jesus reaching his hand in, Peter reaching up to grab it, then Jesus closes his palm. And it seemed like this brilliant <laughs> marriage theologically of all of this Christian theology we argue about, because that's the metaphor that gets used in Bible college. Do you reach up or does Jesus reach down? And and it was like this, <laughs> it was just a beautiful marriage. I wanted to know if that was intentional or, or if you had anything to speak to that. Yeah. Uh, it, I will, I will confess to, yes, there, these thoughts were certainly part of the portrayal. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a, um, you know, kind of a mix of Calvinism and Armenianism. And, and uh, you know, the debate at my c- Christian school was how many po- And I was probably a four-point Calvinist, 4.5 maybe. I err on the side of Calvinism, but I'm not all the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think there's moments like this that you go, all right, we can debate in classrooms all we want, but what practically yeah. speaking, did Jesus grab Peter? Did he grab <laughs> Jesus? And, let you know, let's wrestle with it. So yeah, there was a little bit of that, um, and it probably reflects a little bit of my uh, theology. But I did think, th- I honestly did think uh, of d- d- Peter's, Peter's drowning, Jesus reaches down to grab him, you know, does, I mean, I remember thinking yep. through this, does do, does Peter get a little bit of wind, you know, a little, not wind, a little yep. bit of, of momentum under him so he can grasp? And, yep. uh, and, and yes, I, you know, at the risk of of turning off some of my, some of my audience who might be offended by that notion. Uh, I, I, I did believe, yes, Jesus saved Peter. Jesus yeah. rescued Peter and Peter would not be rescued if Jesus was not there. Peter did not rescue himself. He did not get to the surface yep. of the water and grab onto Jesus's leg and pull himself yep. up. And Jesus goes, great. I've been waiting for you to get here. No, um, Jesus reached yep. down. He did what only he yep. can do. And, uh, and, 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 and Peter responded. Peter grabbed it, and then it, said, and then said, don't let me go, which uh, a yeah. good Calvinist yeah. would, would, <laughs> would say. And, so, he, and he didn't, he, he wouldn't, he can't let him go. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it, it encapsulated another thing that I've routinely said in our commentary that I love about what you walk this line between your Catholic viewers and your Protestant viewers. And, and I know you have this diverse crew helping you and working, but also watching and appreciating and enjoying. I know you've taken heat over that and all those kind of stupid things. But I love how you occupy that space of I'm going to mash all of this together, not in a crazy mess. You artistically do it. And I'm sure 80% of people don't even care or notice or whatever, but Kali, you, you walk that line with Mary and the character of Mary, Yeah. you mother, Mary, you walk, golly, it's, I, I just feel like all these places where I'm like, oh no, or these scenes where it's like, there's all these theories about how it happened. Is it this or is it this? And I have this strong conviction and I'm really worried you're going to, and yet you find a way to kind of mash all of these. And again, not in this, I just, it's a perfect example of what I feel like you're routinely doing and I'm, uh, I'm appreciative and I'm impressed and it's really well done. Yeah. That means a lot. Thank you. And, and uh, I would say, I would word it maybe a little bit differently is we're not necessarily mashing other theories together. We are um, pursuing um, in some of these types of cases, what is the plausible answer that allows for these mashes of different theories to not, mm. to not be uh, unnecessarily crushed. Yes. Meaning, yeah. so it's not like I'm intentionally going, all right, I want to please the Catholics. I want to please the Mormons. I want to please the Jews. Yeah. I want to please the uh, Orthodox. Yeah. I want to please the atheists. It's never that I never, right. I never care about pleasing them. I do care about unnecessarily offending them. I don't mind necessarily. Can we keep offending room? Them. Can we create room for them yes, to stay here? Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, season four, uh, is, this is not a big spoiler, has the scene at the Caesarea Philippi when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I mean, imagine, I mean, you can imagine this because you, you, you know all the intricacies of that scene. Just sitting down and going, all right, now we got to show what Jesus meant by rock, Little rock, big rock, Greek, uh, yep, Hebrew. Yep, uh, yep. Peter is the rock, or the whole, all the disciples are the rock. I mean, and so um, that's a needle that we have to thread. Not because, again, I'm trying to, all right, how can I incorporate a bunch of different things? It's how can I avoid unnecessary landmines? And um, now, again, to be clear, because I, I, I know there's a listener who's saying, I don't ever want you to compromise for this. On the majors, absolutely. Uh, I am not going to. Like, for example, there are, uh, in Israel, um, there are secular and Orthodox Jews who, for the first time, right. are appreciating this show and yeah. telling us that because of the yeah. Jewishness of Jesus. Um, yeah. And they're like, we didn't even, we've never seen Jesus portrayed so Jewish. And so they yeah. are appreciating the show. There will come a time in the show where most likely that divide will be, re that the, the, the gap the gap that is currently perhaps being bridged by the show will yep. be at risk of being broken again sure. because of the truth that it was Jewish leaders who cared more about his death than the Romans did and who worked to make it happen. Yep. That fact is a fact and has caused many to misuse that fact for anti-Semitic yes. purposes, which has caused yes. my Jewish brothers and sisters to be sensitive. But I can't because of that, go, all right, now I'm going to soft pedal what happened because I don't want to offend this particular crowd. Same thing with, you know, Mother Mary, those who believe that she um, not only was perfect, but was, you know, walked around with this kind of halo around her head and, and never got worried, never got concerned, never. 
And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I, I can't change, yep. I can't change what I believe would have been true of a Jewish mom, um, yeah, because of our, uh, you know, certain dogmatic traditions. However, there are things that I just don't need to get into, um, yeah, that don't really serve the story anyway, that are just unnecessary. So let the let 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 the gospels do some of that, and 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 academic academia can have those debates but the show doesn't have to all the time do that just for the sake of it so it is a fine line to watch i uh, walk i appreciate you um acknowledging it um i just wanted to clarify that it's not for yeah. the sake of i'm trying to please everybody it's just, yeah, I, just that, I just don't want matters. it to be unnecessary you know yeah that's a great distinction and i i deeply appreciate that because there's some level of if you're going to take a stand and plant a flag that is going to push somebody out that is a pretty well, you better make sure that you write about that because if there's any room that you could be wrong about those things, you want to give that space for, yes. I have deep convictions about this, but I could be wrong. Yeah. And if I just lean on my conviction when I could be wrong, I'm going to alienate and force out an entire group of people that have just as valid of a argument or a place to be here Yeah. in that, just historically speaking. So, yeah. And, and the hope is, is that over time people will realize, which, it, and that we can somehow positively impact the social media dialogue that is so yeah. toxic. Um, you know, yeah. something as simple as Jesus working through the words of his sermon <laughs> in episode uh, yeah. six of season, no, it was episode five of season two that upset so many people to the point where there were some people who just stopped watching the show because Jesus would never yeah. have to practice a sermon um, and, and, and felt like they could they could end 2000 years of debate about the hypostatic union with a simple YouTube comment. <laughs> and I was willing to say, I don't know that Jesus would have practiced his sermon and thought maybe there's a better way to say this for 3000 different people that I'm trying to, 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 to serve yeah. as, as their, as their savior. Um, I don't know that that's a fact, but I also, I also, am not going to say it's a fact that it didn't happen. So let, can we not have, yeah. a, can we just not reason uh, together about this? I do think it's funny that you just use the phrase plant a flag. Um, when, uh, the, the existence of one of our crew members, gay pride flag on his piece of equipment proved yes. to be one of the single biggest controversies ever. Oh, yeah. So I yes. want to be like, no, we're not going to plant flags, uh, Marty about, sure. uh, <laughs> we just allow others to plant them on their own equipment if they so choose. But yes. we as the chosen don't formally yeah. plant them. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh goodness. Yes. Uh, well, and, and I love, I love this whole like line of thought in going back to those earlier comments about working with the actors and bringing the humanity to these characters. I had somebody write in to me the other day saying, Hey, I wish you wouldn't use the word characters when you're talking about people in the Bible, because it makes it seem like they're not real. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I definitely didn't mean it that way. Like we just mean there, there's a, there's store, there's stories and there's characters in the story. And like, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that, but that's a good point. I'll, I'll take that. And so, but, but as you said, like, so many of the the people that we see in the Bible, there's very little information on them. Yeah. And so they are kind of more like a character. And so taking those, taking those characters from the biblical story and bringing that humanity to them, like what would it actually be like to, to be in the, in the storm, to be in the water, to have, you know, to see Jesus up through the water, but to know, like, I can't, like I'm, I'm falling down here. Like if he doesn't help me, like what is, what are those emotions like? 
And even your portrayal of the walking on water, which I, I think at some point you said you would never want to portray that at all. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I love the way you did it in just like this, like actually like fearful, frightening sort of way. It's like, well, that is what the Bible says that they felt. So what does that actually look like? And it it was really powerful. And it just it just brings the humanity to to these people. And I, I love that about the chosen. Yeah, it's uh, I sometimes catch myself to um, I think sometimes people need to just go. All right. You know what he means? We, we let's not get overly concerned about particular words. Um, but the the the. The, the thought is correct, that they weren't characters, they were people. Uh, but in the context of doing a show, uh, the, the term character is just so much easier to use and it's more common. And and, and also, we do want to have a healthy recognition that our, that our Simon, our Jesus, our Matthew are not the actual people. So uh, I think it's sometimes actually helpful to use the term character as well. Sure. Um, Great point. But uh, yeah, that – I think you just brought up the scene that most – exemplifies what the show is trying to do and 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 was almost not going to do because of my fear of that scene. My fear of that scene was that even if we did it well, the audience would be so distracted by how we did it and so impressed by the production value of it that the truth of what happened and the truth and beauty of that story is just so overwhelming. I can't risk it being distracted by by cool visuals. And, um, and so I didn't want to do it for that reason. Um, and then also if we messed up at all, it would distract and, 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 and you'd be, you'd now be trying to look for the seams. And what happened in season three is we were developing the story for it. Uh, and the character journey of Simon, the walking on water started to feel inevitable. Um, it was like the, the, the best and most logical place for Peter to end up Oh, I'm not, it's not a faith issue, Jesus. I'm willing to believe you are the Messiah. That's not the problem. Um, you know, uh, he, 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 he's, he said it even in season one when he's like, faith hasn't, isn't my problem. I need more fish. Like, you know, uh, look, man, um, I, I, know, I, as he says to Jesus, when he's standing in the boat, he's like, I've been standing right in front of you, in fr- standing right in front of you, believing in you. And you're breaking up fights in the Decapolis. Like, I'm the guy who's right here. I'm loyal. I'm here. I'm faithful. And you're t- taking more time with others than you are me. Yeah. And that, I'm like, what better place to have that argument than on the water? And what better way to illustrate that than he's willing to walk. He's willing. <clears throat> he's willing to, he's willing to stand on the water because he believes. And, and, uh, and he's willing to set an example and he's willing to go where Jesus wants him to go. And he believes it, but he's mad because he's confused. And, um, and, and so we thought, man, if we can pull this off, then um, what, what, if, what if a couple you know, moments into the scene, people aren't thinking anymore about the visuals? And so we, I, I, when, when I watched it in a theater and when I've heard people's reaction to that scene— and, and you realize that what, what we were afraid of didn't happen, that 20 seconds into it, people were no longer thinking about the effects. And they were just thinking about, man, I've been there. I have been right in front of Jesus going, oh, please, please, uh, you know, will you, will you save me? You know, and, and, uh, and Jesus is like, well, have faith. Oh, I have faith. I have faith. You can do it. I'm just waiting for you to do it. And then the longer you wait, the more you start to go, okay, maybe he won't. Okay, well, are the, wi- or are the waves too big? And that's when you fall. And um, and I just, um, that's why we were scared of that scene. And, but that's why 
it became, you know, the, the most impactful scene we've ever done because um, I think we, we really do make sure that before we tackle something that significant, that, um, that we're going to get it right. And we're going to get it how Jesus uh, intended. And yes, to your ultimate point, what would it have actually been like? Like what is the actual human truth of that experience of seeing Jesus walk on the water coming right after seeing him multiply the loaves and fish. And, um, and if we can get that right, then maybe you can believe it's true. Like maybe you can actually believe it happened. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and, but you, you won't, if you don't first identify with the authenticity of the struggle of the question of the doubt, then hopefully you can identify with the answer and the solution. And, um, and that's the whole reason we do the show. Yeah, absolutely. The good stuff's always sitting there behind the hard things and the things we're afraid to. Yes. It's always where the, it's always where the treasure is. Gosh, dang it. And it's yep. been, and now it's been a beautiful thing for season four and season five to be able to reference that moment. The yeah. aftermath of that yeah. moment informs, you know, uh, the, 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 the characters and so, or the people, sorry. <laughs> um, when, yeah. when, uh, when, when Simon is, is, is wrestling with something again, he's like, I believe in a God who walks on water, you know, like yeah. they, they can now reference that in a way that, that, uh, that explains why they kept, kept their faith even in the midst of continued, uh, challenges. Ooh. Man, that's a, that's a lesson within a commentary and a pretty good spot to end up ending our questions there for our time today. That's a pretty good takeaway. That's bigger than just a scene. We utilized all the extra time you gave us, Dallas, and we really appreciate um, we appreciate you being here with us. We appreciate you being willing to portray the things that you're not comfortable doing, but that's where the story takes you. That's where that's where the spirit leads you and the other writers. And so, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, appreciate what you guys do. Um, I say it all the time: the show isn't the end game. Um, that hopefully if, if, I've, if I've done my job in exposing an authentic Jesus to uh, the world who maybe has had a veil in front of them, whether it's through religion or through uh, a lack of belief, um, then the next step is discipleship and worship. And, uh, and I, I hand the baton to you uh, so that um, that's where, because that, that's where you guys are doing things that I can't do on a show. And I'm doing things you can't do in a in a podcast, and 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 uh, yep. hopefully this we'll con- we'll continue to partner together in this work. Absolutely, we're all playing a part somewhere because we are we're handing plenty of batons off as well. An awful lot of stuff we don't get to do. So absolutely, everybody doing their part. Thank you. All right, well that will do it for this episode of the Baymo Podcast. Uh, you can go to baymoscipleship.com. We'll have a couple of items in the show notes, I believe, and we are looking forward to talking about season four, of The Chosen, as well. So. We'll be back uh, at some point whenever that is available, and uh, we will continue this conversation and continue to um, dive deeper into who Jesus is. So thanks for joining us on the Baymall Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.